Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK. Welcome back to the Truth About Local Government podcast. It's 2024, I can't believe it. And to kick things off, we're going to be speaking to Mike O'Donnell, a local government finance expert who has kindly uh, committed some time to come on and talk to us about Section 114's funding, local government pension scheme and responsible investment and climate risk. But Mike, firstly, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. How are you? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. And thanks for the invitation. Pleasure to speak to you, Matthew. So I guess really for those listening at home who maybe aren't as familiar with local government finance as yourself, Mike, can you give us a bit of a kind of context on the past as to what Section 114s used to mean um, and their kind of existence within local government? It's a a very good question. And and the Section 114s, uh, and until recent years, were 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 rare as hen's teeth. Really, they, I mean, I think the, uh, the the public position was there hadn't been one for about twenty years. I'm not sure that's technically quite correct. Cause I know one or two that were were used on on fairly narrow areas of focus. But then in, over the last few years, and, and no doubt we can explore some of the reasons for this, they have become very very common. We've had what five or six in the last. 12 to 18 months. Uh, uh, I mean, Section 114 is a piece of legislation that essentially gives the, sorry, another uh, acronym here, the Section 151 officer, so the statutory chief financial officer, uh, a power and a responsibility to essentially press the panic button if there is uh, 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 an indication that the local authority concern is not going to meet it, be able to meet its obligations, is going to do something that breaches the law, essentially is going to run out of money. Uh, and what a Section 114 notice does, it is essentially involves the Section 151 writing to to the, 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 the full council, to the members of the council, and saying we are in a very difficult position financially, won't be able to balance the books, and you members need to do something about it. So it was almost a a red flag warning um, that that some tricky decisions need to be taken uh, in order to get get the council out of that uh, sort of worrying uh, future prospect. More recently, uh, they have become more common. um, And I think that's in part because they are seen as a way of saying uh, almost that the job of balancing the books is becoming impossible. It's obviously got much more difficult. Um, and, um, uh, you know, the, the, I think there's debate about whether there are too many Section 114s, whether they're quite focused on the right thing. But I think they are a reflection of the, the very difficult financial circumstances that, that local government is now in. In terms of that, because I want to dig into that, because you've made some really interesting points there. And I'd like to start a little bit around the um, potentially how they're utilised as a a political tool to make a point around funding. You know, 
is the I mean, I, I speak a lot to uh, finance directors and, and you know, people who specialise within the finances of local government. There is a real discontent with the current funding system. Um, do you, in your opinion, do you feel that Section 114s are a genuine, we're strapped for cash and we can't balance the books? Or is it more of a, listen, central government, you need to give us more money because we cannot do what you're asking us to do and meet our statutory obligations? Yeah, I, I think to be fair, Matthew, it's a bit of both. I think uh, so. It, I mean, previously, Section One One Fours were to be avoided like the plague. It, you know, if if your your chief financial officer was threatening a Section One One Four notice, that was really serious. And they they're often you you would do a draft of a letter, and and uh, you know that that would be shared with the leader leadership of the council, both officers and members. Um, and as a way of sort of prompting a discussion, avoided the need to to issue formally issue a section one one four. I think now there is a bit of uh, use of them to say, well, this is all you know. Funding the local government has got very very difficult. There are, you know, there is you know no no foreseeable route in some local authorities. I think to get back to a balanced budget. You know, it's all very well saying you have to balance the budget. But you have to have a practical way of doing that. And some of the um, uh, recent Section 114s, I won't, won't name individual councils, but have, have been about <coughs> particular events that have, have caused a, 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 a very significant financial issue you know, come up on the horizon pretty quickly or, or um, some difficulties with some of the commercial investments that a number of local authorities had made, um, and and then you know particularly as a result of COVID and changes to the office market um, have 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 gone south as well. So I think there's it's a combination of uh, you know to quote Macmillan events, dear boy. There's stuff that has just happened that has made it much more difficult, uh, and uh, just the general funding position has got more. Uh, dire. Uh, I think I think central government does have to play its role here, and I think in particular the failure, and this is over a number of years and a number of administrations, I should say, the failure to address the funding position on social care, and there have been so many, you know, Royal Commissions, white papers, everything else on social care, but we are still uh, where we are. No, nothing has changed very significantly, really. And also, I think, on uh, housing supply, and that is feeding directly through now into um, uh, costs of temporary accommodation being faced by individual local authorities. Authorities. I know, I know of some local authorities in London who've seen their temporary accommodation costs go up by 25% in one year. So those sorts of changes, you know, just make it very difficult to to do what what I think is the you know almost the first job of uh, local government is 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 to have a have a clear plan and a clear budget that delivers that. There's two points I want to pick up on what you just said there, and I think that they're really worth emphasising. Firstly, I mean, I think the the historical background of Section 114s was that they were very uncommon. Um, they were they were rare, and that was because it was meant to create it was meant to you know represent a very serious financial situation. Yeah, there comes a a consequence if there are too many of Section 114s. It almost uh, people become almost um, not ambivalent, but they almost become. Uh, used to having section one one fours in in the um you know in the in the in the press and in the papers and for the public who don't understand what's going on it starts mm-hmm. to become the norm. Um, I guess where does this take us to in the future? I mean, in terms of where do you see this going? I mean, are we going to see more and more section one one fours notice, or do you feel there is a point by which central government has to step in 
you know, to because I think that that's the bit for me is I look at it and go, where where is the end goal for this? You know, where do we see ourselves being in five years time, ten years time? Yeah, it's I mean it's a very difficult question to answer, Matthew, because it's sort of you know it's almost a question. Well, what's local? What's the state of local government finance going to be in five or ten years time? Because it will be driven by that. Um, I, th- I think there has been a change in in the use of section one one four, and they were, as I said, they were. It, it was a, almost an in, inward facing process where you were saying to the members, "We need to do something different." Where now it feels some of them, at least, are a bit more outward facing and saying, "Well, we just can't balance." The books, and I'm, you know, that that may be true. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying people are doing it for the fun of it. Um, that th- there are some really challenging circumstances in budgeting in in particular local authorities. So I would, I would hope that uh, some of those issues around funding will be addressed. Uh, but uh, the 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 sort of the the realist in me says uh, that uh, there's no big bag of extra cash coming local government's way in the foreseeable future. Who, whoever is in in government, and you know, obviously we've got got an ele- an ele- election, general election, probably this year, next January at the latest. Um, but I th- you know, even if there's a a change in government, I, 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 I think that you know the Labour leadership, for example, has made clear that you know they're not going to open the the spending taps any any time soon, really. So finding solutions for funding of local government, um, you know, won't be about just throwing extra cash at the problem. I think definitely. I mean, one of the one of the things that I had, I was I was went to the uh, localis's think tank around local government finance, and uh, James was there from SIPFA. And one of the bills that he made was the incompatibility of local government's ability to provide care and place shaping. It was almost it was too much to expect. And you start to think about, well, what what do we prioritize spending around? Because, I mean, you know, not having a neat definition of a statutory duty makes it incredibly hard and, and complex. But look, it's an interesting time. And, you know, I, I, I think you made some really valid points there around kind of the the past, present and future of of local government finance in section 114s moving on to local government uh, pension schemes which is one of your area of expertise mike can you give us a bit of a background context as to where we are with that and pooling etc sure and uh memory memory is a bit hazy so i'll probably get some of the dates and things wrong but essentially uh and george osborne initially uh, when he was chancellor of the exchequer uh set out this process of uh pooling local government pensions pooling and that resulted in um you know after after much discussion and over a few years resulted in eight pensions pools being created um uh, <coughs> of, of varying sizes and and vary, varying models as well. Um, and I, until recent, until the back end of last year, or sorry, year before last, I should now say, uh, I was chief exec of one of those pools, London CIV, which is a pension pool for London Boroughs and City of London. But there are seven others covering the country, and every uh, local government pension scheme, local government pension fund has to be a member of a pool. So that's been progressing, and I think good progress was made uh, over the last few years. I'm not, I'm not up to date on the latest figures, but the the uh, the percentage of assets that have been invested, local government pension assets that have been invested through pools, was around the 60% plus mark. So good progress had been made, uh, 
but uh, the, the government's view, and I have to say it was my view as well, that that, that needed to go further and faster, really. Uh, and we had been waiting for new guidance from um, uh, 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 DLUC for uh, some time, a couple of years. And that was just came out just, uh, I think, autumn of last year. Uh, and government response was published reasonably soon before Christmas. And essentially what that says is that pooling should continue, that <coughs> uh, funds, individual pension funds should focus on uh, investing their pooled assets, sorry, their public assets by 2025, and then uh, uh, private assets would follow thereon. But the, uh, the the proposed model is is a comply or explain model, and also sets some quite long-term targets, I think 2040, to reduce the number of pools, um, and, and, you know, fewer but bigger pools, essentially. But that comply or explain mechanism, I'm, I'm afraid, being a bit of an old cynic means that not much will happen very quickly, and particularly with a, a 2040 deadline for some of it. Um, now, I think the pooling will continue and I, I will continue to develop and more assets come under management, I hope. Uh, but I, I think there's an opportunity here for local government to, to, to grasp the agenda itself a bit more, really. And uh, people like the Scheme Advisory Board to take a grip and come out, come up with some proposals for how this should move forward. Because we have, I think, we've been waiting for uh, guidance from government that, when it came, wasn't terribly impactful anyway. So, I think it's an opportunity for local government to, to you know, grasp the nettle itself, really. Um, And I think the, you know, the 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 case for pooling is about. Um, uh, you know, if, if you're investing bigger mandates, pulling uh, investments from 10, 20 individual funds into a single investment, when you go and talk to a fund manager about that, you get a better deal. It's a, it's a cost saving and potentially opening up different routes of investment if you've got a bigger uh, a bigger pot to invest really so that's that's the logic of it um i certainly think there should be fewer pools uh, i think most people agree with that there's a debate about how you get there i think uh, but also fewer funds i think consolidation of funds is a key issue because one of the challenges was um uh, you might get individual funds to invest via the pool if they're all wanting slightly different things you don't you don't get the benefit the full benefit of a pooled investment you get you know they're all investing in slightly different things and it means you don't get those economies at scale that are crucial to the success of the model it's an interesting one isn't it because i mean you know local government pension schemes have been so important for so long um and it's nice to hear there is that real structured approach to improving the return on those uh, those pools. And that takes us into a really nice third point that we've been talked about a lot kind of off air, but responsible investment and climate risk. Yeah. How do you where do you feel we are with that? And how do you feel that's going to affect local government finance? It, I, I think it I think it was a difficult year last year. There's um, some uh, pushback, I think, on 
climate uh, the climate agenda and some of the commitments that have been made i think the uh, to to go very global for a minute i think the outcomes of the us election could be quite critical in terms of two two very different propositions for the two uh, you know, assumed main candidates. Even that's difficult to predict at the moment. Um, so, uh, so I think there's some pushback, but I I think that um, you know it will continue to be a priority. There's still enough um, momentum behind it, enough of a a business case, if you like, behind it uh, that that will continue to move forward. Um, if you know, it's it's a it's a difficult thing to achieve you're trying to achieve it over a sort of a 30-year agenda so it was always going to be tricky there are always going to be a few bumps in the road but i continue to be optimistic about us making uh, uh, uh you know collectively you know nationally and internationally making significant progress um it's long been a significant agenda for local government pensions and uh many if uh, uh, most i think individual schemes <coughs> and pools have set targets for net zero um, and are working on that. The the big debate, and it, uh, it sometimes feels like quite a stale debate, but because it's probably a bit of a false dichotomy. But there are there are essentially there are two things you can do to reduce the carbon footprint of your pension fund. One is to to engage with your people with whom you're invested and get them to do stuff that reduces the carbon footprint. So that's using your power of share ownership and, and ownership of the company to, to progress that agenda. And when you talk to corporates and you talk to fund managers, they're all pretty well signed up to these agendas anyway. So you're not, you know, you're not so, so not battering at a closed door. It might not be a completely open door, but they're, they're certainly open to the debate. Uh, the other way of doing it, which I'm a bit more cynical about is it's a divestment route because i think you know you might sell all your fossil fuel stocks but that's not making an iota of difference to the the level of uh, activity in terms of fossil fuels because those investments are just sold to somebody else perhaps sold to someone else who's less bothered about climate risk so uh, so there's a a, a, a a, a long debate, I think, about how, how you balance those two tactics and um, how, how you move forward and, you know, a, a view on whether you own fossil fuel stocks, for example, becomes a bit more nuanced, a bit more complicated. Um, but I think it continues to progress. There's a lot of activity on, uh, which is what the more positive side of it, on investment in things like renewable energy uh, and also sort of uh, uh, impact investment in areas like housing. So there's a lot of positive investment as well that can help with that. So, uh, but fundamentally, the, the job of the pension fund is 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 to fund the payment of pensions so you you know you've always got to have a return as 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 your other metric in a sense in terms of uh, progressing a, a strategy on climate risk and um, impact investment well with people like yourself mike who are out there with this passion and expertise for local government finance and for for really i think that's the thing that comes through is there is just so much more to the equation than when you initially look at it there are so many more factors to be considered and, yeah. and fundamentally you're right there there is the bottom line of the return for pensions there is the bottom line of funding agreements to local government um yeah. but beneath that is and i think that's what makes the the role that yourself and other experts have so fascinating and so varied but thank you so much for coming on and taking the time today to talk to us about those really three key areas i really do appreciate it pleasure good speech you matthew thank you mike
You've been listening to The Truth About Local Government. We've been having a very, very stimulating conversation with Mike O'Donnell, local government finance expert around the past, present and future of local government finances, local government pension schemes and what the future holds in terms of responsible investment and climate risk when it comes to those pensions and for local government finance as a whole. If you've enjoyed the episode, please tune in for more episodes throughout 2024. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Local Government podcast. Now, 87% of listeners who enjoyed the podcast do not leave a review, follow the podcast or share it. Please, if you liked it, review it, share it, and let's keep spreading the positive message about local government.